Well, good morning, River Ridge Church. Welcome back into this place again. I'm so glad that you guys are here, and happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers today, including my mom, who may or may not watch at some point. Or um, So happy Mother's Day to all of you as well. Um, I am not Andy, uh, even though that said I was. We got everybody confused like crazy this morning because Andy's doing my job and I'm doing his job, but we flipped out today. But my name is, if you are new, my name is, uh, Blair, I am one of the pastors here, and so I am glad that you were joining with us this Mother's Day. Welcome here again. Over the last few weeks, we have been walking through the book of Acts together. Um, and if you have missed any of the messages, I would so encourage you to go find it and engage with that message. This series is titled, We Are the Church, and it's a look back at the beginning of the church and where it got started. In the first week of the series, Chad taught us that the church is neither a building nor an institution, but what the church really is, is that it's a movement with a message. The message is called the good news, or we often call it the gospel around here. And the message is that Jesus had won the victory over sin and death. See, the brokenness that people have been experiencing as a result of their sin or turning away from God can be fixed. It's a healing that Andy referenced in one of the weeks where he talked about the church does healing. It is a healing that we see there. Yes, we see numerous accounts all through scripture of actual physical healing through the power of the Holy Spirit, but this is a little bit different than that. This is even greater than that. This is the church offers healing for the soul. And when we look at how this movement got started, we can look at the summary statement that we see in the book of Acts. When Jesus says this, look at this, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is here commissioning his disciples with the movement. He says, I want you now to go and tell all of the world all about what you have seen. The word commission is such a great one. I really love this word commission, and, and, and we get this. It, it means to have authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. And that's what Jesus does here with his disciples. He says, guys, you are going to be my witnesses you are authorized to speak on my behalf. And man, did they take this commissioning serious. Chad pointed out that we are sitting here today as a result of how serious they took this commission. The message has now spread way past the ends of the earth as far as the disciples understood it. It will be another 1,500 more years before America's even discovered. This morning, we're gonna actually look at, the, at Acts 8. We're gonna skip ahead to chapter 8, which actually skips us ahead like three and a half chapters. But if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to grab them now. Start flipping over to Acts 8. We'll, be in, we'll start in verse 26 when we get a chance here in a second. But because it skips over three and a half chapters, it skips over a ton of information and a ton of things are happening in this early church. So I wanna catch you up quickly. I know, I know. You guys have been following along with the reading plan. You haven't missed a single verse, so this isn't necessarily something you need. But for our guest, you know, well, I'll, I'll do it anyway. I'll catch everybody up. 
All right, let me pray there real quick before I do that. God, I thank you so much for the gift of Sunday morning worship. I thank you that we can come here and be reminded of the truth about who you are. I thank you that we can sit together and that we can stand together, that we can sing together, that we can worship you because of what you have done. God, I pray as we open up your word, as we look at your word, that we would recognize the truth that's in it. I pray, God, that it would penetrate our hearts, not because of some way I can cleverly say it, but because of the truth that the word speaks for what the word says and that you speak. And so, God, I pray that it would come alive to us today, and as a result, we would be changed and transformed the way you want us to be, God. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Amen. So, last we left off, let me catch us up here. Last we left off, Chad showed us at the end of chapter four that the church is marked by a few different characteristics, and one specifically he mentioned was generosity. Since then, here's what's happened. Some people tried to trick other people and fake that they were a part of the community of believers and some bad things happened to them. The apostles were doing some crazy, crazy miracles and people were amazed and so they started becoming followers. They get thrown into prison, but then they're freed later, so that's good to know. The group of disciples keep getting bigger and bigger. Some new guys are actually appointed to some positions, some roles, which we'll get to in just a few minutes here. Then one of those guys, his name's Stephen. Stephen actually is so good at teaching God's word that he ends up getting stoned to death and killed. And there, a man named Saul gets introduced to us at this point in the story. And that finds us here. And this is what resulted in chapter eight, one. It says this, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Do you see that? Do you see those, those places there? What, are the, what does that sound like, those places that are there? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the world thinks that persecution would, is a weapon to attack the church with, but God uses it as a means to push the gospel further and further. See, when the church gets scattered, the kingdom gets expanded. River Ridge, over the last bunch of months here, we have been scattered. Not necessarily because of persecution specifically. And I am praying, I am praying, I am praying that as we were scattered, that God used this time to expand the kingdom in West Virginia. I'm praying that God has pushed us out of the building because we were pushed on mission into our neighborhoods. I don't wanna look back on this time and realize that we missed our, one of our greatest opportunities to really live out church has left the building. The church could have looked at the death of Stephen. They could have looked at this and said, oh, let's just hang low for a little bit here. This is getting a little scary right now. We just need to hang out in our, in the, in our houses for a little bit. And when this persecution blows over, we'll get started on the mission again that God told us to do. These people aren't really that even that interested. <laughs> I mean, Stephen was a good, good witness and they just killed him. All right, so that's a really, really brief 
uh, catch up to what's happened over the last three chapters, but you got some details, you're caught up here and we'll, we'll fill in some more blanks here. But in Acts 8, 26, where we're gonna be this morning, it starts by saying this. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip. When I read this passage, I have two initial questions that pop into my mind as I look at this. First, the question I wanna ask first is, how did the angel of the Lord speak to Philip? You know, did he, uh, did he come in a vision? Uh, was he present in the room? Was he through a, a dream? Did he speak to him kind of like I, the Holy Spirit speaks to me? And the second question I ask is, who is Philip? Well, we haven't heard anything about Philip yet. And so the first question, I don't really have an answer. The passage doesn't show us how Philip was spoken to. But the second question we have an answer for, and we can look back at Acts 6, 5 and see that. And it says that here, it says, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. See, okay, so what's going on here is this. The, the church had been growing so rapidly, so quickly. It was growing so fast, they, they couldn't even keep up with taking care of all the needs of the people. And since the church, as we found out last week, was marked by generosity, this was a big deal to them. Specifically, the issue that they were finding is that there was a group of widows who spoke a different language who weren't being properly getting the food they needed from the daily distribution that was being offered. Peter, kind of the lead disciple here, saw it as a problem, so he gathered all the rest of the disciples together. He said, guys, come on, we need to talk about this. Come here. It's not right, or yeah, uh, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, though. See, it's important that we care for them, but we need to continue to preach the word. So they had to come up with a plan, and their plan was this. They decided they needed to find some other people that could care for this particular task. So that's why we got that list of seven names. And these guys got the title of diaconus. Now, diaconus is the word that we get our word deacon from. Deacon can also actually be translated into some other words. It can be translated into servant or even server, as in waiter, which makes a lot of sense for what Peter just said, right? Now, I think it's important, though, that we recognize what Peter is not saying. Peter is not demeaning the role of deacon. They even elevated this position that says, when we find these people, the seven guys that we're gonna find, when we choose them, they need to have a good reputation, they need to be wise, and they need to be filled with the Spirit. So here's Philip, one of these guys, one of the first people to serve on the guest services team at the First Church of Jerusalem. His job was to think about all the widows that were in the area and to make sure that they were cared for and had everything that they needed. So that's Philip. Now, as we look at Philip, we're gonna learn some things from Philip today. So let's keep going with our passage here. It says, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. I don't think there is any, any, any better picture of a disciple of Christ than these two verses right here. 
The Lord says, rise and go, Philip rose and went. This is our core value number one around here. Living God's way is best. See, Philip didn't stop. He didn't call a friend and say, hey, I got this message. I'm not sure what to do with it. God said to go. Can you help me out and figure out what we need to do here? He, uh, he didn't uh, say, hold on, I I'm gonna pray about this for a little bit and see if God knows what God is talking about here. He didn't gather up the sending committee and say, hey, guys, let's figure out if this is right for me to do this. Let's, let's, let's figure this out. God said go, he went. Now don't cut me wrong, I'm not saying that it is wrong to do any of those things, but when God speaks clearly, we don't need to wait. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first one. When the Lord says go, I go. Our vision around here is to help everyone take their very next step in their journey with God. And many River Ridgers do that every week. It is amazing. We see amazing benefits of when God leads and we follow. And so we wanna encourage that every single week around here, when God lays out the next step, that we do it. And we hope that it, this week, if you've been ignoring God's go, that you will follow and go. And I have to be available to where God wants me to go. I've heard it said many times that God is less interested in how able we are. He cares more how available we are. I think that's one of the greatest things that we see from Philip here. That's one of the greatest things that Philip shows us is that God said to go, Philip was able to go. I want you to stop and think about this for a second. I want to give you a question to think about. Ponder this for just a second. If God did actually send an angel and said, I want you to rise and go, would you have the availability to do that? Are our lives too filled up that we wouldn't even be able to, even if God did send an angel to rise up and go? Does God already know that about us? And as a result, he isn't sending the angel to speak because we aren't available to go where he wants us to go anyways. But Philip, as he, as he rose and went, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all of her treasure. So we get a lot of detail about this man here. He was Ethiopian, so that speaks to his race and his nation. Uh, this person would have had a darker skin. He would have been from a faraway nation. Uh, he was in charge of the treasure, uh, treasury of the queen. Um, now it says Candace there, just for interest sake, that's not, a, that's not a name, it's actually a title, Candace's. You can think of it in the same way that you would think of pharaohs. There were multiple pharaohs, there were multiple Candaces, And this just happens to be the one he served, the Candace that is right now. So this is a significant position here that we also see, a person who must be educated and responsible in order to be this position. The other thing it says is that he was a eunuch which means he's been castrated. Because if you were going to have a place within the queen's kingdom and in her palace, they wanted to make sure you didn't get any frisky ideas, and so they took care of that. Funny story. <laughs> well, that's not a good way to lead into a funny story, but funny story about that. 
Uh, my son Isaac and I were driving somewhere. I was dropping him off the other day and uh, I needed him to do something and I needed him to hurry up and I was letting him to know I was working on a, on a message and so I needed him to be on time a little bit better. And my son, he, you know, he, he asked me questions regularly and he's like, oh, you're teaching this week. What are you teaching on? Now, when he's asking these questions of me, he's just kind of scrolling through his phone, not paying attention to what I'm talking about. And I said, well, I'm talking about uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And he continues scrolling through his phone, but he asked the question, what's a eunuch? And I said, well, a eunuch is a person who's been castrated. And he continues to scroll through his phone, and he says, well, what's castrated mean? And I'm not kidding. I explained it to him, and before I could finish, he what? Why? Why would they do such a thing? Who would do that? Now, if you're still confused about what we're talking about this morning, Andy will be right up here after service and he will field any question you might have. So feel free to ask anything you want to know about that particular thing. But these are important details about this man. And in fact, from this point on, he is always called or identified as the eunuch. He's not called the Ethiopian. He's not called the queen's servant. He's not called whatever his name actually is. And this is why this is important. As we keep reading in Acts 8, it says this, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in a chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, why that's important is that we might not realize that, but the thing about this that we need to realize is that, an Ethiopian, is, is that when the Ethiopian arrived ready to worship God, as it said he did, he came to Jerusalem, he would have walked into the outer courts of the temple. But then when he was ready to go in to participate to worship, he would have been directed to a sign that was just outside that said, no foreigners allowed and no eunuchs can pass this point. So just for a little context, this man had just traveled 1,500-ish miles to come to the temple to worship the God, to declare praises of who he is, and he isn't even let in the door. Because of his title and wealth that he possessed as being this special position, he was probably used to getting what he wants, but he was excluded here. It tells us that he's reading Isaiah which is kind of impressive because somehow he has the wealth to be able to even purchase scrolls, which were really, really expensive. They might've stopped him and said, geez, we're, a lot of, we're really, really sorry, but you know, you can't come in here. It's not for you. We gotta keep this separated. We can sell you a scroll or two if you could afford one. It doesn't tell us this, but because of the eunuch's wealth and power and ability, I wonder if he bought several of these scrolls that day, just to kind of show, I can buy those. But he has this scroll and it tells us that he's reading from Isaiah. And let's keep following. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? See, the first couple of things we see about Philip is that he's available to go when God needs him and he obeys exactly what God says. But the next thing we see is that he walks alongside and earns an invite. Note takers, put this one down. This one says, 
I, there we go, I walk alongside and earn an invite in. Now, what's important about this is that this is not a passive move, though. Philip wasn't passive in what it was. It's, it's, it is very active. Philip didn't wait for the Ethiopian to come to him. He went and stood beside of him and made himself known. The other thing we see is that he didn't start screaming about what he needed to do. Like, he didn't start telling the Ethiopian all about what he knew. He just asked him a question. Hey, you understand that stuff you're reading right there? Then he waited for the invite, but he did make himself available. And I think for some of us, myself included, I think I need to find some ways to walk alongside of people. Otherwise, I'm never gonna get the invite in. If someone doesn't know I'm there, they can't invite me in. But it isn't waiting for them necessarily to come knocking on my door at my house and say, hey, can you explain all the Bible to me? It's me going and walking through life alongside of them. And this might look different for for all of us, but there are some different things that we could do. And so I started thinking for myself what that would look like. And for me, that might look like I start sitting a little closer and a little closer to the others at our kids' ball games. It might be the fact that I need to start getting lunch on a regular with a coworker to have this kind of time where we continually get together. It could mean I need to ask some more questions. And instead of answering those questions for them, I need to just get to know them a little bit. I need to just listen and give them the opportunity to speak and for me to just hear. It will though mean eventually, I probably do need to share some of my life with them. Let them know about me a little bit, share about who I am with them as well. But here we are, Philip gets the invite. He gets invited up and to, to ride on this chariot. And so we see what the Ethiopian was reading. It says this, and that he was reading, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. How amazing is this? I think God might have ordained him to read this exact passage. What about you? See, the eunuch is quite aware of humiliation. He just experienced it at the temple, and I'm sure he's rather interested in this, and so he asked this question, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip does two more things here. First, he begins teaching exactly where the eunuch is. He doesn't start the conversation somewhere different. He figures out what the eunuch is asking and then begins from the place where he is in that exact moment. When we get invited in, we can't bully ourselves to where we wanna go, but we can start with where others are, not with what we know. See, he didn't start telling him all he knew because Philip probably knew a lot. He'd He'd been a follower for a while, and he didn't start telling him what all the things 
that the eunuch needed to do. He started with the place the eunuch was and he began teaching him. And he started teaching him the things, he, not that he needed to do, but the good news about Jesus. Which is another thing that's important is that when I get the invite, I show others what Jesus did, not what they must do. See, the church is a movement. The church is a movement with a message. And the message is all about what Jesus did. This has always been the biggest issue with some people and the church itself. They would express that the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. The people that go to that church, they say do this and don't do this, but then they don't follow what they're telling people to do. That isn't what Philip did here though anyway. He just shared the message by showing what Jesus did, not what the Ethiopian needed to do. Lean in, this is awesome. This is, this is awesome. I am so hoping that the eunuch bought a few more scrolls because if he did and he got this and in Isaiah, and honestly, if he would have just got a little bit more, and I'm believing that he did, and here's why, because three chapters later, he would be reading this in Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Let not the foreigner, come back to me, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate from his people. The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners I will bring to my holy mountain. Eunuch, you are in the story. Here is where you are in the story. This is where you're at in the story. The Lord didn't exclude you. Jesus said, I'm gathering all, no matter what your identity is, no matter what your race or your nation or your language or your gender or anything about you, whatever, you aren't cut off from me. And the story goes on. The Lord got, uh, keep going, one more. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And I think Philip would respond this way, not Isaiah, and for sure, not Jesus. You might've been excluded from the temple, but that's not the case through Jesus. Jesus died for all, and when he did, he ripped the separation apart, and you are all welcome here. And if you're listening this morning, I want you to know that too that Jesus didn't reject you. He didn't exclude you. He didn't come for people that look different than you. This story is to show that he offers forgiveness to everyone. Woo, right? Philip and the eunuch went down to the water that very moment and he was baptized. This was his next step in the journey with God. It was time to hit for him to say, I'm a Christ follower. 
I accept Jesus as my savior and I want to let everybody know that I wanna be a part of the family of God. For some of us here, that might be our very next step in our journey. I need to obey and follow Jesus in believer's baptism. I need to be bold with my declaration that I belong to Jesus. If this is you, we want you to know so much that we are ready to help you take that step in your journey. Starting in the month of June, just a couple of weeks away, we are gonna have outside baptism after each of our Sunday, after, after the second service for the next bunch of weeks. We're gonna get individual tubs, that way we can continue with the safety protocols and things like that. But we wanna remove as many possible obstacles that are in your way from taking this step if that's what God's called you to do. Here's all you need to do. If you're an adult or a student and you're ready to be baptized, we wanna invite you back to baptism at the Ridge class on uh, May 23rd. We'll have it in our next steps rooms. Come be a part of that. Figure out what baptism is all about. If you're ready to get baptized, make that step. If you're a parent of a child who is ready to take that step, we wanna again remind you of we believe that'll be next Sunday. If they're ready to find out more about what it means to declare I belong to Jesus, we wanna help them take that next step. A huge chunk of us need to get registered to volunteer at Big Kick. Not because it's a task to do, not because we're telling you it's something you gotta do, but because it's an opportunity to walk alongside and get an invite from some kids to find out where they are and share the good news of Jesus with them. We desire so much that this soccer camp would be an opportunity that is open up to our community that those kids who have felt rejected before will not feel rejected because they'll hear the truth about Jesus and will earn a right to walk alongside of them. I think some of us need to take a big step here. I think some of us need to take this big step to remove some things from our schedules so that we are available when God says to go that we can actually go. We need to free up some time in our life right now that actually allows us to be on mission with God. If you're here this morning and you relate to the eunuch and you have felt rejected at any point, but see clearly now that Jesus does not reject you, then we wanna invite, we wanna help you invite him into your life. And I'll be here after service. I would love to help you walk you through a prayer so that you can take that step in your, in your journey with God and invite him in. Whatever the step is for you, we want to urge you to take it this week. If God says go, we need to go. Our life will be exponentially more rewarding when we are living the way God says is best. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for the gift of this morning. I pray, God, that your word came alive to us today, not because of the way I said it, but because it's your word and it penetrates hearts. And the beauty of the story that we get to read here about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the story that shows us that you didn't reject anyone, but you came for everyone. And you came that they might know you and they might have new life and it be abundant life. And you've called us to that. And so God, I pray if we're wrestling with that right now, that we would see the truth that you did not reject us, but that you welcomed us into the family. And we are a part of that. And you went to great lengths that we might experience that. So God, I pray that as we take those steps that we would follow after you. And like Philip, we would go when you call us to go. We wouldn't wait, but we would take that step each and every time. 
You are amazing. And because of that, we worship you, God. Amen.